please. Quiet, please. Broadcasting System presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called Some People Don't Die. My name is Dewey Lancaster. You probably have never heard of me unless you're vitally interested in the subject of prehistoric cliff dwellers. And practically nobody is. There are a few cliff dwellings in the United States that I don't know about as well as their original inhabitants did. The Vatican, Mesa Verde, all the big ones, most of the little ones. They're quite interesting. They're quite. Now, when I tell you that this particular one is called Mesa Encantada, don't look superior and say you know where the Mesa Encantada is. Because the Southwest has more enchanted mesas than there are main streets in the United States. And the chances of your finding this particular one is about 7 million to 1. And you don't want to find it anyway. I'll say you don't. Let's cut out all the preliminaries and say that it was several years ago, six to be exact, that I first came to Mesa and Cantata. Muriel and me, uh, my wife. I recognized it at once. How? Well, I'd seen pictures of it in various cliff dwellers' houses. Sure, other people saw some of the pictures, too, but I was the only one that recognized them as pictures of a particular mesa. And I'd been quietly looking for it for several years. I just stood there and looked at it, with the sun about a foot off the horizon. And nothing between us and the sunset but a million giant saguaros. Just me and Muriel and Fermin, my Yankee Indian helper. It was pretty impressive, rearing up out of the desert about a thousand feet and... That peculiar shape, the walls, sheer red rock, so smooth you couldn't imagine a possible foothold all the way to the top. I was pretty happy. I just stood there and looked, and all I could think of to say was, Well. Well, I said, here we are. Muriel didn't say anything. Fermin did. Okay, si, si, como no? Matter for me, don't you like it? No, amigo, I do not like him one nickel. No, come on now, for me, just because they call it enchanted. This place many more enchanted than you think, amigo. This baddest place in whole country. Ah, oh, you people always say that. Not me. I never said him before, didn't we? This cholo, he gets scared pretty easy when something is where old people live one time. But you never hear Firmin say not nothing from being scared to these places ever, am I? Carambo can no know, amigo. Only this place I don't like, boys. It'll look better tomorrow morning for me. Maybe to you, amigo. But she don't look at me from the morning, I tell to you. What? You pay me off, senor amigo. Not me. I don't stay, boys. Oh, come on now, Fermin. Stop it. No mirror, amigo. Fermin, when he is scared, he don't kid you about him. I think it's much mejor you come along with me and not be here forever. Now listen, Fermin. I... No, I got my ears shut. I don't stay here, not Fermin. I take my money and I go from this. Well, how are you going to go? 
I'm not going to let you take the car. Where shall I walk? My pay, por favor. I mean, listen. Now. You come with me. Don't be silly. I've been looking for this place for a long time, son, and I'm not afraid of it. Come on, be reasonable. I am more reasonable than we think, senor patron. You and senora can stay, and I do not like it. But me, tengo mucho miedo. No quiero estar aquí. Please do pay me my money. What are you afraid of, Fermin? You've been with us at a dozen of these cliff dwellers' places. That's right. Look, the senora isn't afraid for me. But I am. Of what, for the love of Mike? Of what is up there? You know what's up there, Fermin. Broken pottery, a few skeletons. You're not afraid of the dead people, are you? Pero estos difuntos no son muertos, senor. You're crazy, Fermin. No, senor. What did he say, do? He said these dead ones aren't dead. What do you mean by that, Fermin? Some brujos. Wizards. Que si, si. Well, now, look for me, and I'm a pretty good wizard, too. You stick around here tonight, and if any of these wizards come around, I'll put my own special variety of hex Senor, you speak to Fermin, not to some fool cholo. Mira, senor, Fermin has been with you long, many years, so do not try to tell him that kind of stuff for why he knows better. Yes, I guess you're right, Fermin. Senor. I'm sorry. Senor, you know Fermin is not superstitious in the opus. So you listen. This very mal país. How you say bad Senor, senora, you are my father and my mother. I do not want for you have that death. Only not just you. And in your soul. These brujos take her too also. Please, you come away from here with Fermin before I am too late. Well, thanks, Fermin, but we're staying. I see. Then I go. For me, now don't be silly. Con permiso, senora. It is not I who am being silly. Adios, patron. Adios, senora. For me. Go after him, Dewey. He'll get lost, sure as anything. We're 30 miles from the town. Stop him. For me. For me. I caught up with him in the gathering darkness, and we stumbled across the desert together for half an hour, tripping over the straggling roots of greasewood bushes, snagging our faces and hands on the choya patches that seemed to lie in wait for us. And I used every argument in my catalog. Finally, I got mad. All right, Fermin, if you want to desert us, I said. And I told him where he could go. I can still see the bulk of him, stocky and sturdy against the stars that splattered the sky. And I can still hear his voice. And remember the sadness in it. No, senor. It is not I that will go there. They will take you there yourself. You and the senora. And the day will come when you will remember what Fermin has told you. And the day has come, and I remember you, Fermin. As you turned and moved away to become a part of the night. So I came back to the place where we'd parked the car close under the shoulder of the Mesa Muriel had turned on the headlights and they were a beacon for me as I plodded back. And when I got there, Muriel was gone. At first, at first I thought she just wandered over for a moment. When she didn't come back after 15 minutes, I started to look for her. I looked for nearly the whole night long, shouting her name as I stumbled all the way around the towering Mesa. Must have been only a little while before dawn that fatigue dragged me down to the cold ground for a brief sleep. I was awakened almost at once, it seemed, by the sound of a great gong that began in my dreams. It persisted until I forced my eyes open and saw that the sun was rising. 
And she was not there. I was alone at the foot of the enchanted mesa. In the quick daylight, I took the car and drove in ever-widening circles around the base of the mesa, sounding a horn and shouting Muriel's name until the needle on the gas gauge warned me to continue on foot. And I examined every inch of the mesa itself through my binoculars. And far at the top, a thousand feet above me, I could see the man-made wall and the windows of the old cliff dwellers' mansion. But there was not the slightest sign of life anywhere. I was the only living thing on all these thousands of square miles of desert. So in despair, as the sun was declining again to the west, I drove the car back to the giant Sawato where we'd parked the night before. There was no mistaking the place, of course. I got out of the car and walked toward the smooth red precipice. And there, leaning against the rock, was a ladder. A ladder of mountain ash wood. The rungs lashed onto the uprights with rawhide strips that looked to be a thousand years old. And hanging on a rung just above my head, a beaten silver Navajo bracelet studded with turquoises. Muriel's bracelet that I bought for at Akuma, the village in the sky, two years before. Well, what would you have done? I didn't think of Ramin's wizards, his dead men who were not dead until after I'd climbed all the way up the ladder, till after I'd retrieved Muriel's bracelet. And I remember thinking that perhaps this ladder indicated some racial connection between the cliff dwellers of ancient times and the, the modern Zunis who used ladders such as these to climb up to the second-story entrances to their pueblos and lock their doors by hoisting up the ladders behind them. Perhaps Muriel had found it, lying under a mesquite bush and dragged it over to the mesa. And then I remembered out of my scientific musings, where was she? Where was she? That was when I discovered the doorway. Passage beyond, dark. So now I knew where Muriel was, and I was a little annoyed that she'd beaten me to the discovery, and I was irritated that she'd not waited for me. I called her. Muriel! No answer. I called her again. Muriel! Are you in there? Then there was a scraping sound behind me, and I looked back at the doorway just in time to see the ladder slipping away from the ledge. I leaped for it, but I was too late. It crashed to the ground. on the passageway in the dark, and I called her name again. Muriel! The man's voice answered out of the darkness. I'll take you to her, Mr. Lancaster. Who the... Who are you? I'm sorry I startled you, Mr. Lancaster. My name is Kino. Who are you? Where's my wife? I live here, Mr. Lancaster, and your wife is safe for the moment, at least. Come along with me, please. Now, the race of the cliff dwellers had been extinct for a long, long time. We have only surmises as to what became of them, what they called themselves, what they looked like, where they came from, and where they went. Our unsolved mysteries. And here, in this place, crowned with perhaps the most ancient of all the cliff dwellings, was a man who spoke as perfect English as you and I. Yes, I am one of the cliff dwellers, Mr. Lancaster. We here in the Mesa de los Miradores, we are the last of our well, I thought this place was called the Mesa Encantada. We call it the Mesa of the Watches. Well, why? You see, there is a stairway 
here. Now, how could a man, a, a cliff dweller, if he really was one, how could he be speaking perfect English to me here in the heart of a thousand-foot mesa far out in the desert? How could that be? I wondered if I were dreaming. No, you are not dreaming, Mr. Lancaster. Can the man read my mind? We can do many things, Mr. Lancaster. And you must not be surprised at my speaking English. Many of us can speak several languages. You see, from time to time, we send our people out into your world. We have been doing that for hundreds of years. You've been out then? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, I was in your Navy during this last war. Aviation Radio Moon 3rd on the Lexington. Oh, I don't understand this. We don't expect you to, Mr. Lancaster. Well, where's my wife? I'm taking you to her. Be careful, the stairs are steep. And the stairs were steep. Too steep for more conversation, although you can understand how anxious I was for information for news of Muriel. I followed a man who called himself Kino up, up higher and higher. And in a brief pauses to rest my aching legs, I managed to put in a few questions. Is my wife all right? Oh, yes. She's quite all right. How long can we stay here? For a long time. Shall we start again? There is still some distance to go. I'm a trained mountain climber, but those stairs were almost too much for me. Kino, though, wasn't even breathing heavily. I had to stop oftener and oftener, and although, though I thought I was trying his patience sorely, he remained calm and courteous. There are about a thousand of us. I hope we'll get a chance to study your people and their customs. Yes, you may do so. I'm, I'm amazed that there are people here. Living people, I mean. Yes. I'm sure. My assistant ran away from us last night. Yes. The watcher saw him. He said you were wizards up here. You know, a wizard? Yes. I know. Shall we go on? It's only a little way now. The last few hundred steps nearly tucked me out. But at last, I staggered out into a kind of platform at the very top of the mesa, a platform of living rock surrounded by a parapet carved out of the mesa itself, perhaps four feet high. The wind was cool up there, and the desert seemed a long, long way below, and the stars were very close. This is the place of the watchers, Mr. Lancaster. I wish you a pleasant good evening. Yes, but... And a huge slab of rock swung into place over the trapdoor we just come through. I was alone again, on the peak of the Mesa of the Watchers. And far below me somewhere, a thousand primitive men and women went about their several ways, uncaring that a stranger watched the night for them. But I wasn't alone, after all. For a voice, an old, old, dry voice, spoke to me in the cold darkness. Can I? It was a voice in oddly accented Spanish. And I looked around for the one who asked me, who is that? I could see no one, but I replied, Un Americano, que se llama Dewey Lancaster. And I said, Janice, who are you? And a dry as dust voice answered me. Sir, Don Alvanuel Cabeza de Vaca. That was ordinary. What? Yes, it does. Have you ever heard of Cabeza de Vaca? 
Spanish explorer who tramped the Larazona to Kansas and back with his black servant to stab him in 1537. In 1537. And I heard his voice six years ago. But I couldn't see anything but stars and the blackness of the desert down below. And what kind of tricks were Kino and his cliff dwellers playing on me? I lost my head for a second. I yelled at the top of my lungs. You're trying to scare me? You can't scare me! But they did. They scared me nearly to death. Nearly. The first way they scared me, the dream. I dreamed that I'd fallen asleep and awakened again. Awakened to the man Kino standing over me. Get up. Mr. Well, it's about time. Yes, indeed. It is about time. What are you trying to do to me? Where's my wife? Your wife? Why, you see her very soon. Don't worry about her. I want to see her now. Not now. Are you going to let me out of here, then? No, Mr. Lancaster. No, I think not. We didn't ask you to come here. You see, you mustn't be surprised at the kind of welcome we give you. Well? We have customs, you see, of our own. And I threw my mind in my dream. Raced all the stories I'd heard of Indian cruelties and tortures. And in my dream, I shuddered at those thoughts, and my voice wasn't very steady as I spoke in my dream. Well, if you're going to kill me... Do it quick. I am not going to kill you, Mr. Lancaster. You're not going to torture me, either. No. You must merely receive the kiss of Mokin. And I thought I heard the dry, crackling voice of old Kibeta muttering something behind me. Makino spoke again. Stand still, Mr. Lancaster. And at his quiet, smiling words in my dream, I was suddenly powerless to move. Powerless to move away from... The flat, ugly head of the great rattlesnake the Kino thrust before my face. I tried to scream. I had no voice. The sound of the snake's rattle filled my ears. Its eyes bore into mine, and the little darting forked tongue flickered close to my eyes. Then there was the sound of the gong again. And an intolerable pain in my upper lip in my dream resounded. second time they scared me. I awoke, and the pain on my lip was something unendurable. And I knew it was no dream. I remember a sense of surprise that I was still alive, though I knew death was not far away. And a voice spoke to me in the first rays of the morning sun. Huey. Muriel, where have they been keeping you? And then I saw the mark of the snake, the kiss of Mutsin on Muriel's lip, too. And I cried out. Muriel! The snake, Yes, Dewey. I have kissed Mozin, too. Thank you. No, Fred. No. We have not killed you. Well, what? No, indeed. On the contrary. Now, my dear friend, you are one of us. What are you talking? Let her tell you. She knows. Muriel, what is he talking about? We're worse than dead, Dewey. Well, what do you... Mozin has kissed us. 
And now, we can never die. So, that is right. You are watchers now, like me. And like Kabeza Debaka, there. And that was the third time he scared me. I looked past his pointing finger. And there against the breast-high parapet was what I thought at first to be a, a mummy. A tiny, fragile, dried-up skeleton encased in leathery, ancient skin. And at his feet, a great, shining, silver-mounted conquistador's helmet and an ancient sword. And slowly, slowly the desiccated mummy turned his head to us. And the skull of a long-dead man and the eyes were pinpoints under the naked brows. And the grisly mouth opened. And the dry as dust words came out. See, compadre, nosotros, todos, los misadores. Bienvenido, compadre. Firsthand stories of the conquest, stories I had from Cabeza de Baca himself. I won't. I won't tell you how I escaped the place so I could tell the rest of the world about the last of the Cliff Brothers and the Enchanted Mesa. Here, 16 floors above the street in a hotel room in a great city, I had the word from Kino yesterday. He said they'd followed me. They knew where I am. He said I'd better come back on account of Muriel. They can't kill her, of course. But these people of the Mesa are true sons of their cruel ancestors. So I'm going back. Muriel and I and Kino and Cabrita de Vaca will be there for a long, long time. Maybe they'll let us out to see what this world is like a hundred years from now. If we're good. And if the world is still here. Good night. Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper. The man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And Sid Cassell played Fermin. Muriel was Anne Seymour. And Ted Osborne was Kino. William Adams played Cabeza de Vaca. The music for Quiet, Please is composed and played by Albert Berman. Now for a word about next week's Quiet, Please. Here is our writer-director and my good friend, Willis Cooper. For next week, I've written you a story about a man who wasn't satisfied with his lot in life and who tried to change it. It's called Little Fellow.
And so, until next week at this time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. Quiet, please, comes to you from New York. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Thank you.